roll up your sleeves, crack your knuckles, and get ready for business. This week, we get a glimpse of what it's like to turn a portfolio company around, how to get hands-on at management level, and what value can be driven from the nitty-gritty of operational, commercial, and organizational change in this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to a new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. I am Greg Gilles, the editor of Unquote, and I'll be your host today. We are going for a slight change of pace this week in more ways than one. First of all, we are going to be doing another one of our In Conversation With episodes, uh, where we spend a bit more time on a one-to-one conversation with a market participant. We haven't done one of these in a little while, and uh, to shake things up a bit more, we're going to be speaking to someone who's got a foot in both the corporate executive and the P-Investor world. My guest today, Jan Kengelbach, joined BC Partners London office in 2010 after spending three and a half years at Alex Partners, uh, working as a financial restructuring and an operational turnaround advisor. Prior to that, he worked as managing director for the Bert Hoffman Watermill Foundation in New York, as a strategy consultant with McKinsey in Munich. He also interned with Goldman Sachs in the M&A division in London. But also, since 2018, Jan has been the CEO of Anova Group, a BC Partners portfolio company. Jan, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me on the program. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Um, could you introduce yourself perhaps a little bit more detail to our listeners? I, I didn't expand too much on the scope of your role at, at BC because I didn't want to, to spoil your, uh, your limelight. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that to set the scene. Yeah, absolutely. With pleasure. Um, so I joined BC Partners about 10 years ago as an operating partner. BC Partners, as you might know, is one of the largest global PE firms. And prior to that, I spent my time in interim and permanent management roles and advisory roles, always with an operational or financial restructuring and turnaround background, Mm -hmm. for example, with Alex Partners, but also in other roles. Um, I was very intrigued when I was hired about 10 years ago to start to build the operating partner model at BC Partners, which we designed, implemented, and and, uh, and, and structured over the last decade together with my partner colleague, Jerome Lausson. Um, you know, there, there are quite a few different models out there and, and we wanted to create a model for BC partners that was uniquely different. So we didn't really want a bunch of junior models. We didn't want a big group of consultants, but we wanted a, an approach that was fully integrated into the deal team. That means, for example, identical incentives, participation in board roles, no handover from deal team to ops team. But we also wanted to be the partners and the sounding board to the CEOs with whom we are working. Mm -hmm. And that meant as a partner, we wouldn't charge advisory fees and we would have to have the ability to cover a whole breadth and depth of topics. So we needed a generalist approach. And the way we did and went about this is we created what we call a framework of value creation roadmaps. And those were supported by a large knowledge building effort in the firm. So we created along the various um, dimensions of of operational performance, what we call a long library of playbooks that we can deploy across our assets. And at the same time, we helped our deal team colleagues to actually understand and learn from those playbooks because operational performance improvement is not really something that only the ops team in our view should uh, own. And finally, the fourth element of our model was that we created the right level of governance, which means that 
not only do we have quarterly reviews in a structured way, but portfolio review committees, which are chaired by the ops team so that the ops team has real teeth and can be an agent of change. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned before, you, you've had an, an opportunity to, to put that into practice, perhaps more than uh, than other PE executives, uh, because you've been CEO of uh, an overgroup as well, which is a BC partner post for the company. Um, can you talk us through uh, what Anova does, uh, first of all, for our listeners who might not be familiar, but maybe also how the role came about and, and how you've adapted from uh purely being the investor, albeit with a, with a focus on operational improvement, uh, but more of a, a manager mindset? Yeah, to some extent, I think it, it speaks a bit to the flexibility that we built into the model at BC Partners because, you know, different situations require different degrees of, of engagement and interaction with the management team. But who's Innova? Um, Innova is the seventh largest global contract manufacturing and developed service company or called CDMO abbreviated. We're the third largest in Europe. We're roughly 750 million of revenue, 4,300 employees and 15 manufacturing sites. And when you think about it, what we do is we make pharmaceutical drugs and nutritional supplements and some specialized cosmetics that many of you know buy at the pharmacy in a drugstore. So we make anything from tablets, hard gel caps, soft gel caps, ointments, creams, injectable drugs, sprays, inhalers, for the human and animal health, um, really for just about any type of indication, whether it's a cancer treatment or an anti-diabetic drug or hormones or cough and cold medicine. And the way this works in a very simplified way is that big pharma companies own what we call a dossier, which in essence is a recipe and the right to market these drugs in certain markets and jurisdictions. And they are faced with a make or buy decision. And so they uh, contact folks like us, specialized contract manufacturers and developers, to help them manufacture these drugs for them. And it's quite interesting that that globally, roughly one third of all drugs are manufactured by specialized okay. uh, contract and, and development service companies. And and how how did the role um, come about? Because uh, you, you you were at BC uh, before before that, um, and the investment was was done. Uh, Perhaps a little bit after you joined BC. I'm, I'm not quite sure on, on, on dates, actually. I have to go back on that. Uh, but how did you eventually uh, kind of step into being a more hands-on role there? So I was working with Innova in a board capacity okay. uh, in a more traditional approach before. And back in 2017, the company started to uh, experience a period of underperformance. And originally, you know, you would try to address this with the, you know, management change, etc., there was a time and a special need for a, uh, let's say, a more rigorous approach to get the company back on track. And that's where I was inserted in the company as the CFO at first and then later mm-hmm. on became the CEO. How have you, um, and I don't know if you, maybe you have actually done that before for, for other investments, but certainly for, for Innova, how did you um, kind of, did you have to switch your mindset a little bit coming uh, from the investor mindset into more of an executive uh, position? How, how did you approach that? I actually think it's incredibly helpful to have been on both sides because, mm-hmm. you know, certain things are decided in a boardroom and intellectually sound very easy to do. And then the challenge is, is actually to implement them in a sustainable way. Um, so, you know, you, you develop this sense of judgment of what can be done, how quickly it can be done, what you know, at what level of maturity is an organization such that it can potentially cope with the next next good idea. 
So I actually think very often, you know, you might have a disconnect between people who've never seen the investment world and those who've only uh, uh, been at the on the capital side. And so to have both hats on is actually extremely helpful, I think, in the uh, in order to create a, you know, a successful symbiosis really between the two. Absolutely. And uh, obviously, you've touched upon the, the big challenge that, that Innova had been facing sort of around 2017. Um, and I would imagine that's, that's the biggest challenge that the company has had to overcome under, under BC's ownership. How, uh, beyond just be- becoming involved on a more kind of personal level and more hands-on level, um, how did you approach that, that problem? And, and what were the steps that, that you put in place to try and overcome it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Innova is 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 actually an incredible platform, the, one of the largest, if not the largest platform in Europe for this type of business. Um, you know, for example, we serve 13 of the largest 20 global uh, pharma companies, six of the large largest 10 animal health companies, and and um, all throughout the investment. You know, Innova was acquired by BC Partners already in 2012. Mm-hmm. It really had all the ingredients to be a successful company. But as it is sometimes with these big companies, um, they sort of start to stumble. Innova in 2017 had stopped to grow in a growing market, in a market-leading position. That's always something to be worried about. Mm. Had become somewhat less efficient, had lost a bit of its customer focus and understanding its customer needs, and really didn't have the right strategy for growth in place to generate sustainable earnings and cash flow growth. Um, So... The, the approach was as follows. I mean, the first thing to do in, in these situations was to go back to my roots. I think you mentioned earlier that I was a restructuring and turnaround yeah. advisor previously. And it's about stabilizing cash flow and re- reintroducing controls. Controls around spending, those are the tools that you usually use in a distress situations. But you need to gain back control of an underperforming business. And within six, six months of my tenure, I literally spent quite a few evenings and late nights writing a document, a comprehensive new strategy for the firm with a three-year operational implementation plan. And I discussed it with my BC colleagues and we figured out what capital that needs. And this was the way forward. And quickly as part of the plan, it became uh, apparent that the CEO we had at the time was possibly not the right driver for this business. And therefore we decided to replace it. And this strategy, it focused on three rather generic elements, but which all required some form of fixing. It was operational, commercial and organizational at the same time. Operationally was most evidenced by switching the mindset in the company from what I call a pharmaceutical manufacturing company that happens to be in a service industry to a manufacturing service company that happens to be in pharmaceuticals and putting really customers and patients first. And that changed really everything. Um, So very quickly, we realized that all our customers want is high delivery reliability and high quality products. And everything else really comes somewhat secondary. And especially this delivery performance is so important in the CDMO industry because arguably not many CDMOs do it well and it becomes a real differentiator. So when I took over at the time, we only delivered as a group 60% of the time on average on time. Um, Today we're at 90% and that's two years later, which is now absolutely market leading. On the commercial side, you know, complex manufacturing operations often have some trouble to understand where they make money. So we build really detailed product and customer uh, customer profitability analysis. 
changed our approach to pricing so that we could actually claim our fair share of the value that we generated. And we built a totally new approach to business acquisition from the reactive waiting for the next big RFQ in a B2B business to understanding through market intelligence what our customers really need and then to approach them proactively. And so this has been incredibly successful. Not only is our win rate over 20% of everything that we bid on, but we generate now more than 100 million of new business every year, growth rates that were absolutely un unimaginable before. So um, just in the first 60 days this, of, of, of this year, really, or now you know, 70 days, mm. we've already acquired another 45 million of new business. So the demand for these services is enormous. But last but not least, in the end, you know, people always say it, but it is actually true. We didn't have all the right people on board to build such a transformation. Um, so we changed our operating model and we changed our executives. Um, I have 32 executives in the broader team. And over the last two and a half years, I exchanged 24 of them because it was clear that with the folks that we had on board, we couldn't get to that next transformative level. And in addition, last but not least, we introduced what we call a business model structure so that not every entity reports operates in a straight line, but we now have an organized way um, such that we can not only allocate resources, new products better, capital better, but also have an, a, a platform really for, for knowledge sharing within the group. Excellent. And, um, and as, as you said, it's already bearing fruit, um, certainly. How uh, Have you made any changes in, in terms of the, the, the business perimeter, in terms of M&A? What, what's, been, what's been your approach there? Or, or maybe it's uh, you know, uh, more of a forward-looking thing, but um, beyond the, purely the operations um, and the strategy, did, did you make any other changes along these lines? No, absolutely. Um, you know, we have, first of all, divested uh, the least profitable portions of the business and actually mm -hmm. quite successfully so. Um, and then we've looked selectively at certain additions to our footprint. Now, we have a very vast footprint, but it is largely European focused. So we would love to expand more into North America, although, again, our plants in Europe manufacture a lot for the North American market. But a presence there would be desirable. And we are constantly looking at... Um, um, adding innovative technologies to mm. the footprint that we currently have. We haven't recently been successful because the problem with M&A always is if you finish second, unfortunately, that doesn't get you very far, but we've been involved <laughs> in a few processes and, uh, and hopefully that will pan out uh, rather sooner than later. Um, it's, but it's, it, what actually struck me as well when you were talking about your, your journey with the business, it, as you said, it almost doesn't matter what, um, um, what market it's in or what, what sector it's in. It's almost, it, it, well, it sounds to me anyway, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost a back to the basics uh, approach. Is, is that how you approached it? And, um, and is there more, do you think there's more improvement to be made? Is, is there any other highlights that, that you're looking forward to? So it is what I often call management by common sense. Right? Hmm. If you don't deliver on time, your customers are going to be unhappy and you need to change that, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you don't understand where you make money and you don't make money, it's going to become very difficult to make decisions about where you're going to invest. So lots of that is actually common sense, but it, in companies, it's often more complicated to achieve that than it would usually seem to be, especially if companies have put together through, you know, M&A and, and are not all organically grown that way. Um, so I think that's the basics of fixing the business. Then comes the element of, outperforming market because you actually become innovative and focused on new technology, new value propositions that others don't have yet. 
that requires a slightly different skill set. And we're really right now at the uh, at the cusp of, of engaging into those types of uh, technologies. One of the most prevalent ones, as you can imagine, is to uh, to implement vaccine lines for COVID. Mm-hmm. And we're very happy that we're actually just now starting with, uh, with that process so that hopefully by year end, we can uh, fill and finish exactly those types of products. And that actually brings me quite neatly into uh, into my follow up questions, which was perhaps a, a bit more um, current, or you know, looking at development for, for the business over the past year or so. Has the, the how has the company weathered the COVID storm? Did that make a big impact? Because obviously, you were a, a pivotal point of of putting the business back on track, and it's been a couple of years and it's going well. But this this is happening. Did that require to kind of think on your feet and and be a little bit nimble? Or was the business kind of sufficiently sheltered from that, what was going on? You know, so first of all, I think, you know, Innova in this type of market is incredibly resilient, right? Looking back at the last massive crisis of 2008, Innova really didn't didn't really see it at all. But now in COVID last year, um, the reality is we had the best year on record ever. And not because of some windfall profits, but because we continue to perform very well. Um, you know, already back in, in February 2020, I remember this very well in, in some countries, we're not possibly even talking as much about it. We introduced, you know, a, a global task force um, that dealt with that subject and we replicated that task force 15 times at every site, you know, and, and we did the typical things, right? Restriction of access to the sites, extra hygiene measures, a certain form of separation of the workforce and the shift patterns. Um, IT enabled home office, you name it. So we, we started doing many of those things and the reality is we've actually fared very well through it, although, of course, we also had COVID cases in our plants, but but very isolated and, and uh, uh, very few of them. And also, we have to be honest, about a year ago, people might remember, Italy was sort of at the forefront of all of that disease. Yeah. We have two Italian plants, so we kind of had a six-week uh, window into the future of what would come to Germany and Switzerland thereafter. Um so it's 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 really paid off well for us in a sense that we've we've operated well, but the one thing I want to say it is a big thank you to the four and a half thousand employees who actually kept coming to work or kept uh, working from home despite all the inconveniences, whether it was homeschooling or whatever, and who were loyal to the business and all hands on deck, and that's really what made the difference. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward, what, what lessons learned at Innova do you think you can take away and, and make part of the standard toolkit for operational improvement across the BT portfolio? I think some of the things that you mentioned, again, we said it's it, it's almost kind of uh, sector agnostic or irrelevant of the nature of the business. It's more, you know, back to the basics and the strategy and the, the implementation. Um, but are there been any kind of particular instances of um, things that you've implemented at Innova that you think will be will become part and parcel of, of your approach across the rest of the portfolio? I think, you know, this idea of, of um, permanently or for long-term taking over management positions was obviously not part of our standard approach. And I actually think it speaks for BC partners to say, look, this was, uh, we do what's required when we need to, uh, you know, in the, at the time rescue an investment and then actually, as we do now, grow it meaningfully. Um, so, you know, that just speaks for the operational partners approach. And I think, you know, this flexibility is something that we need to foster. And we didn't always have that. This was the first time that we actually did that at this scale. And later on, we replicated it elsewhere. Um, 
But from a playbook perspective, the question is really about um, strategy and an operational implementation plan for generating what I call a differentiated sustainable basis for future growth and not earnings growth only, but also cash flow mm -hmm. growth. And I think we need to challenge our management teams not to just do more of the same, but tell us how they want to innovate and how they are actually going to eke out that tiny bit of competitive advantage that will allow them to outperform. Um, and sometimes that gets kind of lost in the day-to-day -day discussions, maybe. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, and this is obviously my own bias because I come from that background, but the core to any performance is strong operational performance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's sort of many excuses of why it's not working so well and why we have inefficiencies here and there. But the plan to tackle that and to really show a gradient, a slope that is positive in terms of improvement is not, it, it, it's not so obvious. And, and that often requires, unfortunately, the change of the team that you have. But, yeah. but last but not least, I mean, you know, uh, you need that, that world-class sort of team and that's your biggest asset. And you need it across the six to eight people or however many you have that run a company because they will have an enormous trickle-down effect. So, you know, sometimes it takes a long time and I took an enormous amount of time to put the right team together there. But once you have it, you're going to get this, this really exciting momentum and drive of change for the better and winning almost comes as a byproduct. I see. And uh, speaking of people, uh, there was one last thing I wanted to ask you. Um, I don't wish to presume as to when BC will eventually uh, exit Inova, uh, but perhaps later on as well. Do you see yourself returning purely to a P role full time or would you always miss that executive experience on a day to day basis? In other words, would you be happy taking, you know, taking a seat on, on another company beyond the board, but pure, you know, being being executive hands on day to day? Yeah, I mean, look, there's pros and cons to to both of them. You know, my my entire career has been in these permanent or interim roles. And no matter whether I stay at Inova or come back to BC Partners, you know, I think we now have some evidence that, that you know, not everybody necessarily can do these roles. Not everybody wants to do these roles, but they can be extremely helpful for a period of time. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, I think... The, the reality in private equity is always that you will have special situations that need special solutions. Mm -hmm. And so it's probably, and hopefully, uh, a strength that at BC Partners, we have a few people like myself who can do that. Absolutely. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today, Jan. Uh, but thank you very much again for, for being on the podcast and sharing your experience of, of working with Anova. Uh, sounds like it's been quite the adventure. Thank you, Greg. Really pleasure to be here. And uh, thank you as well, listeners, for tuning in. We'll be back with more episodes in our regular panel format before long. So stay tuned for these and don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you rely on for your podcast needs. Thank you and see you next time.